Amen. The preaching of God's Word is in the Song of Solomon, chapter 3, verses 1 through 5. Here again, these five verses. Song of Solomon, chapter 3, verses 1 through 5. By night on my bed I sought him whom my soul loveth. I sought him, but I found him not. I will rise now and go about the city in the streets and in the broad ways I will seek him whom my soul loveth. I sought him, but I found him not. The watchmen that go about the city found me to whom I said, Saw ye him whom my soul loveth. It was but a little that I passed from them, but I found him whom my soul loveth. I held him and would not let him go until I had brought him into my mother's house and into the chamber of her that conceived me. I charge you, O ye daughters of Jerusalem, by the rose and by the hinds of the field, that ye stir not up nor awake my love till he please. These five verses for our consideration this evening. Now, throughout the Bible, we of course see that believers know what it is to have true religion. This word religion is thought to come from a word meaning to bind. And of course, that is biblically sound as an idea, for by it we are bound to God and He to us. And yet it's not by our works, but rather by His grace. We see this, of course, in the idea of the covenant, where God seeks us out, And he says, I will be your God and ye shall be my people. And yet, even with such covenant promises, we see that the believer longs for not only the outward testimony and assurances, but the actual enjoyment of that God who says, I will be yours. And so the whole of his life is focused on and is seeking and is maturing in the experience of fellowship with God in Christ. So we can see this, of course, throughout the Scriptures. The whole tabernacle, its apparatus, its furniture, its function, was all for the sake of God establishing a place wherein He might dwell in the midst of His people. And the sacrifices were various sacrifices so that God would commune with His people. And we see it in various ways as He would meet with His people and We see the promise of His covenant saying, I will be your God and ye shall be my people. But we also see within His covenant promise that as He says, I will dwell in them, which Paul picks up in 2 Corinthians chapter 6 and makes much of, that God will dwell in us and will walk in us as well. Think of Christ as many promises. As He says, I am the vine, you are the branches, abide in me and I in you. There is a constant emphasis upon fellowship with this glorious God by grace. And brethren, as we prepare this week to enjoy by the Lord's mercies the Lord's Supper, this uh, sacrament of the Lord's Supper, which is an ordinance of communion, it's good for us to have this in the fore of our thoughts. And we remember, of course, as Paul says in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, that the bread which we break is the communion of the body of the Lord. And the uh, cup which we bless is the communion of the blood of Christ. It is this which we seek 
We're not satisfied with the outward and empty names, but we desire rather the real fellowship of the living Christ. Of course, we can have that without the sacrament, and yet the sacrament is an appointed means that particularly holds that forth to us to know and to enjoy the person of our Savior. Well, before us, in the inspired and holy Word of God, we find this experience set forth. The believer, here described as the one who is on her bed and is without the one that she loves, is feeling the distance of an unfelt Christ, a beloved one. Now it's worth noting, particularly, particularly in our own day, that Song of Solomon, though it's in the past 50 and 70 years, has been increasingly said by so-called scholars that it is nothing more than a wedding song of Solomon. We challenge that without hesitant uh, thought because not only can we look to church history, which universally uh, gives its voice, but we can look to this book itself and we can say two things, among many others for the sake of time, which disqualifies this from being about Solomon literally considered and not as he is typical of Christ. Because, for instance, the one whom she loves, though not here yet elsewhere, quite clearly stated, is a shepherd. And Solomon never was a shepherd. And moreover, the very book gives such accolades to this one whom she now seeks that would be imprudent and indeed irreligious to give to a mere mortal as the altogether lovely one and as discussing him as having no fault, no spot, no problem in the least. Everything of this beloved groom is perfect. Everything. And yet, as God's Word most clearly testifies, not everything was perfect about Solomon. And though there are blessed statements about the dear bride, yet there are noted faults, which of course line up with the church. We see this confirmed, of course, in Psalm 45, a song of loves, most interestingly titled, wherein we have Christ set forth as the King, who is most beautiful and lovely, and yet the Queen, the church, is set forth likewise with a derived beauty. We see it in Ephesians chapter 5 when Christ is said to love the church and give himself for her, which is, of course, a model for husbands to love their own wives as Christ loved the church. We need not spend more time simply noting that here before us is uh, pointing out the experience of the believer and her beloved Savior. What we have in the text before us is firstly a sad circumstance. Notice verse 1. She says that while on her bed, I sought him whom my soul loveth. I sought him, but I found him not. It's interesting, the description. Everything here is full of uh, much to consider, though we have not time to dive into every detail. One's bed is a place of great comfort. It's a, great, uh, it's a place of great uh, peace. And while she is there on her bed, she's seeking the one whom she loves. 
and yet doesn't find him. And instead of, as it were, casually rolling over indifferent, this startles her, and where she was to find comfort and rest, she finds none. Why? Because the one who provides comfort and rest is absent. This then leads, secondly, to a diligent resolution. Verse 2, I will rise now and go about the city and the streets. You think of how tremendous a resolution that is. I'm not stopping. I'm going everywhere in the city, in the streets and in the broadways and the open places. I will seek Him. And notice this resolution gives rise to action. I sought Him, and yet it is without initial satisfaction because, as she says, I found Him not. And though she is discouraged doubtlessly, she presses on. The watchmen are told, if you see him, have you seen Him? And yet there's no response. And then finally there's a happy discovery in verse 4 that as it says, I passed from them, I found Him whom my soul loveth. And what does she do? Well, she brings Him home. But you'll notice it says, interestingly, I would not let him go until I had brought him into my mother's house, which is a mystical description of the fellowship of the church. She desires to be there in the presence of the ordinances. And then this recurring charge comes in verse 5, which you'll find in other places as well. I charge you, O ye daughters of Jerusalem, by the rose and by the hinds of the field. These are creatures like our deer. They quickly scatter. They're quite afraid. And notice what she says, that ye stir not up nor awake my love till he please. You take care. You watch. That you not be the ones who stirs him up to leave. See, there's personal exercise in all of this passage. And yet there's a charge that falls upon the corporate church. Take earnest heed to this. Do nothing that would cause him to go away. Do nothing that would cause him to uh, scamper off. Till he please. There are times when he is pleased to do so. But be not the cause of this. Well, there are many things that this passage teaches, but here is particularly a description of a heart that loves and seeks the Lord Jesus Christ. And what we find here is that the believer is one who lovingly desires the enjoyment and fellowship of Christ and his love. Now, this is universally appropriate any time, but particularly as we prepare for the Lord's Supper, it's helpful to have something that helps us distinguish between the mere profession of faith and the evidence of true faith. And this helps us in our own examining of ourselves. Of course, professing one's faith is good and right, needed to be done, and yet one can profess faith, even think that they have faith, and yet be without it. Well, here is a mark that is only found among God's real children. They love Christ. And this love causes them to seek Christ. And so you see this throughout the Scriptures. We see this, Peter writes of it in 1 Peter chapter 1, whom though you see Him not yet, you love Him. And so what do they do? They are pursuing His written Word. And again, we see it 
throughout the Scriptures. This is why Christ is exhorting His people to seek His kingdom. It's why He says, if you love Me, keep My commandments. Right Where there's love, there's obedience, there's submission, there's following, there is seeking. Well, we want you to look at two things this evening. Firstly, the believer desires Christ's fellowship. And secondly, the believer seeks Christ's fellowship, both of which will help us, we trust, in our own examining of ourselves, both examining as to uh, the fact of whether we have this mark, and secondly, the degree to which we have this mark. So firstly, then, the believer desires Christ's fellowship. Now, surely this is almost a commonplace, or it should be, that one that we love is one that we desire to have time with and fellowship with. Now, we may love the wrong thing. We may pursue the wrong object. But if we have that affection of delight and to some degree devotion, we want to have time with that one. Now, this is true even of inanimate things. So if someone likes the outdoors, what do they do? They seek time for it. And so they get on their calendar, they say, we're going to schedule this, or maybe it's just routine. They have uh, several hours that are open to them through the week, and so they make plans and seek out what they desire. Well, this is to be seen in a moment, but for now, simply note that the believer desires Christ's fellowship. And this is important. Notice the passage. What is she seeking? She's not seeking the things he has because she was surrounded with it in the room she was in. She's not seeking his mere blessings because she was dwelling in a house that was, of course, filled with them. What she was desiring was Christ. This is what the believer desires. I sought Him. And we can get ahead of ourselves a bit, but to help us understand what happens when she finds him, she, verse 4, held him and would not let him go. She's cleaving to him, saying, I want him. Notice she doesn't find him and say, where did you put my favorite food? She didn't find him and say, why didn't you take care of the problems I have? That's not in her focus, because she's desiring him and wants him. And it's evident by when she finds him, she holds him and desires never to see him depart again apart from when he of his own will and sovereign wisdom desires to do so. So all of this is pointing out that she desires him. Think similarly of when Christ was teaching And many disciples left. And Christ says to His disciples, will you also go away? And they say, to whom shall we go? You have the words of everlasting life. We believe and are persuaded that you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. There is that firm persuasion. And the persuasion then leads them to say, we don't want to go away from you. Think of how Paul puts it in a bit different context when he's talking about he can see as it were the finish line of his life coming up and he says you know there's part of me there's something within me that desires to depart and yet I also have this desire to stay and serve to your edification 
But he says, it would be better for me, for me, to be absent from the body that I might be present with the Lord. That's my desire, to be with Him. Yet it's better for you that I stay and serve. And so he submits to the Lord. Think of how Paul mentions this notion as our great comfort in 1 Thessalonians in chapter 5 when he says that the coming of Christ, the dead in Christ shall rise first, and those that are alive shall rise and meet Him in the air. And what's the great comfort? That we will ever be with the Lord. We'll ever be with Him. And then you think as well of John writing in 1 John as he says, you know, we're the sons of God, the children of God, and what we will be, we don't yet know. That is, we don't, how can we comprehend the glorious transformation that will overtake our bodies, our beings on the last day? But we do know this, that we shall be like Him, for we shall see Him. Notice that desire and that goal, and that comfort. We will see Him. The psalmist testifies of this as well. I know this, that though I'll die and be buried, yet with my own eyes I will behold Him. And of course, you see it in Psalm 73, Whom have I in heaven but Thee? And in earth there's none that I desire besides Thee. The believer desires God. And yet, the only way we have God is by Christ. Christ says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. He is the manifestation, the revelation, and yet he's also the mediator. There is God and there is man, but there's also, as Paul indicates, one mediator between God and man, the man Christ Jesus. And this mediator is a middle person between these two parties that are at odds. And we unjustly at odds with God, having sinned against Him, but God justly at odds with us because we've sinned against Him. But what does Christ do? He reconciles us together. And He brings us together. And in transforming us, we have our eyes open to see the beauties of God. We see the wonder of God and His mercy. And we see the beauty of Christ supremely. And we desire Him. We desire to fellowship, to be with, to share in his uh, beauty and to delight in all his supply that he has for us. Why does the church, why does the believer desire this? It's quite simple and it's stated several times here. Notice, for instance, and you'll catch this quite quickly I sought him whom my soul loveth. Verse 2, I will seek him whom my soul loveth. Verse 4, I found him whom my soul loveth. Why is it that she's not content to be apart from him? Why is it that she desires to be with him? It's because her soul loves him. She loves Christ. The believer loves Christ. It's not just because he's going to have this great victory at the last day. It's not just because of all of the storehouse of treasures that he owns and possesses. It's not just because of all of those things. It includes all of those things, but fundamentally it transcends them because there is this gracious affection of love set upon Christ. My soul loves him. 
And is that not the case for any and every believer? You see, this isn't about ministers or elders or deacons. This isn't about you know, believers who have walked with the Lord for 30, 40, 50 years. This is true about the youngest and most immature believer in the Lord's kingdom. There is, yes, grace given, which then gives faith to trust, and yet so soon as there are the eyes opened and faith apprehending Christ and all of the blessings given over, there's the perception, not just of the many blessings, but of the beauty of Christ Himself. And He is, as she'll go on to say in chapter 5 and verse 16, altogether lovely. He is. Not His things are, but He is. Not what He does, but He is. And this is a fundamentally important focus. The Christian desires Him because the Christian loves Him. It doesn't mean that we don't appreciate the things He does, and it doesn't mean we aren't grateful for the things He has. But it does mean that all of those things are secondary at best because our earnest and most focused desire is Him alone. Ever to be with Him. Think of that. The comfort. Paul says in 1 Thessalonians, wherefore comfort one another with these words. With what? That we shall ever be with Him. Isn't this you know, rather uh, eye-opening to the way that some people uh, think about heaven. It's true, of course. Heaven is this uh, uh, transcendent reality and place of transcendent blessings. God will wipe away every tear, right? There will be no more misery, no more night, no more curse. All is gone. And yet, the thing that we're to comfort one another with is the simplicity of saying, We will be with Him, with Christ. Why? Because That's what the soul that's been renewed desires. I desire Him. That's what the believer desires. Both not only in the life to come, but even in the life that now is. This desire for Christ to commune with Him and enjoy Him is, of course, that which leads then secondly for the believer to seek Christ's fellowship. And you see this. She senses the distance. She's not uh, near Him. She finds that He's not present. So what does she do? Well, she seeks Him. What is it to seek? You'll notice our passage illustrates this for us in a number of ways. But one thing seeking is, is a deliberate focus. It's deliberate. It's not accidental. It's not something that sort of after the fact we say, oh, you know what, I guess that's what seeking is. There's a deliberate intention. Notice her words. I will rise now and go about the city in the streets and in the broad ways. I will seek Him whom my soul loveth. Seeking Christ is a deliberate intention. Now, of course, this is descriptive in ways that are uh, pointing out through different Uh, images of what's going on, but you can gather the thought there. She's saying, okay, where would my beloved possibly be? Well, he might be in the streets. He might be in the broad places. So what am I going to do? I'm going to go to where he might be. I'm going to seek him. So seeking is 
the deliberate focus in pursuing Christ. And so this is what she pursues. This actually comes up in different ways throughout this book. We don't have time to look at all of them. But you can see, for instance, in verse 7 of the first chapter, first, or Song of Solomon chapter 1, verse 7, here again the bride says, Tell me, O thou whom my soul loveth, where thou feedest, where thou makest thy flock to rest at noon. For why should I be as one that turneth aside by the flocks of thy companions? So she's wanting to know, where can I find you? That's what I want. And by the way, you can see this in almost every chapter. She's discontent when she senses distance. She's satisfied whatever else is going on when she's near him. And so the answer, if thou know not, O thou fairest among women, go thy way forth by the footsteps of the flock and feed thy kids beside the shepherd's tents. There Christ is giving this guidance. You know, we can apply it quite quickly to, you know, make full use of the ordinances of God. The shepherds feed the flocks. Where do they do that? By the preaching and reading of the word. Be much in seeking that out. You know, so the point is, seek me where I may be found. Well, the imagery switches, but notice she says, I'm going to go seek him. It's deliberate, it's focused, and notice as well the seeking is active. She doesn't sit down and make the strategic plan and say, yep, yep, yep. She doesn't then say, you know, okay, are there other things I should consider? She doesn't then say, you know, well, what do you guys think about this and have a council and all of these things and whatever else? No, I'm going to rise now. I'm going to go about the city and the streets and in the broadways. I will seek him. She gets up and she goes. She pursues. And this is, of course, far different than the false comfort that comes to people who say, I'll seek him tomorrow. I'll seek him later on. You know what I'm going to do first is I'm going to take care of all of my first priority issues of work, of you know, pleasure, of entertainment and recreation. I'm going to make sure I get all of that figured out and then I'll get on it after that. Well, that's different. Here's a believer who says the only thing that matters to my soul is having Christ. And so everything else is put aside. Everything else is set aside and I'm seeking Him. I get up and I go out. You think this would have startled this culture, of course. It doesn't startle our culture at all. But to do this likely in the night, to run around and so on, seeking would have been at least a spectacle if not whispered around as scandalous. But she's saying, the only thing I concern myself with is finding my beloved whom I love. So she's deliberately focused and she's in active pursuit of Him. We can see as well that from what it is to seek, that there are at times disappointments in seeking. You know, if some people were to be believed, it would be like, well, as soon as I rose up and sought, I found him. But that's not the words. It's rather, I sought him, but I found him not. And even the watchmen, which arguably would stand for elders and ministers, find her. And they don't, they're not able to provide uh, what she seeks. And so there's this disappointment. What does she do? She doesn't say, well, that's the end of it. I guess I'm going to go back home and sit around and wait and so on. No. The whole uh, focus is that she's continuing 
to seek Him. And so it was a little that I passed from them. Notice, if, if I'm not finding them here, I'm going to keep going until I do. My consuming focus is finding Him. And it is then that I found Him. Well, brethren, notice this. When the believer seeks Christ's fellowship, the believer doesn't stop until the believer finds Christ's fellowship. There is, of course, a way of speaking of unbelievers, not as the world today and even the church today often speaks of it, as seeking the Lord. And when we speak of that, we mean that unbelievers convinced of their sin are to give diligent attendance upon the means of grace. Reading the Bible, coming to church, hearing the Gospel, studying the law of God, cultivating conviction, crying out to God. All of that's right and good and is unfortunately forgotten in the church today. But here we're speaking of a believer, one who loves Christ. But you know, there's a similarity. When it is that for whatever reason, through our own carelessness as the uh, church will be shown to be later on, or through the Lord's sovereign and providential purpose withdraws His felt and enjoyed presence, we are to be diligent in the seeking in spite of the disappointments and discouragements. And is it not the case that it's worth it? People say, well, you know, I, I'm seeking. You know, I've set aside a day of fasting and prayer and so on, and I don't, I'm not feeling anything that's glad and gladdening. Well, that may be the case, and that's a sad situation that happens on occasion. And yet, that doesn't give the believer who loves Christ any cause to say, I'm done. The believer says, I will continue seeking. They come to church and their souls are drooping down and full of various sorrows and they get counsel from others that you know, conflict and they say you know, this word and that word and why are you even downcast, you know, these kinds of things. And the believer could take that as a scar that uh, the, the church elsewhere uh, testifies of. But instead of being disappointed and downtrodden, the believer keeps seeking Christ. They come to the minister, and the minister is unable to say and give the counsel and the help that's needed so that the soul is satisfied. But the believer is not set down yet, but rather continues seeking Christ. Why? Because she loves Him. You hear stories about mothers and fathers seeking their lost children for years because there's no evidence totally that they've been lost in death and there's you know suspicious things you know who knows maybe they're still alive and in our own city you know years back there was the discovery of a young boy who had been taken as a child and lived for years in the heart of Kirkwood only to be discovered years later and the jubilation of the mother and father who had not stopped seeking was overwhelming for all of us who saw the story. How much more for them? Well, brethren, if that's what parents do of earthly children, is it not what believers do for their beloved Savior whom they love? They seek Him even in the face of disappointments. Well, what is it that is the fruit of this seeking? Well, it's told here, I found Him But she's not content to leave it there, is she? I found him whom my soul 
loveth. She doesn't say, where did you go? Why weren't you here? Which is often what we think on the side of, well, why did Christ depart? How dare He? And all these thoughts and so on. And we raise up all these complaints. And we raise up all this smoke. And we raise up all of these frustrations. But the heart of the humbled and gracious soul, so soon as she finds Christ, is full of the embrace of saying, let me know you. Let me hold you. Let me have you. Let me experience your closeness, your love. The fruit is not only finding, but enjoying Christ. Enjoying Him. Brethren, this is the reason the believer seeks Christ. Because He is altogether lovely. Because He is the Son of God. Because He is the One who loved us and gave Himself for us. Because He is the One who is to be desired above all things because He is most good. But what's also a blessing in this book is that He is often the One speaking of her and testifies of His love for her. We don't have time to look at all of these things, but notice in chapter 2, in verse 3, as the apple tree among the trees of the wood, so is my beloved among the sons. I sat down under his shadow with great delight, and his fruit was sweet to my taste. He brought me to the banqueting house, and his banner over me was love. What is the overwhelming testimony of the feast he provides, this house of wines? It's one of love to her. And so it is again and again. We find this clearly shown. We read in the Scriptures that Christ says Himself that it is a friend who lays down His life for His friend. And Christ calls us friends. And what does He do? He lays down His life for us. And is it not the sight and understanding of His love to us that quickens and multiplies our love to Him. I mean, this is quite plainly what the Scriptures tell us. We love Him because He first loved us. And we don't love Him because He sort of mildly and meagerly whispered love to us, but because He publicly and radically displayed His love for us when He willingly embraced the shame of the cross that was our shame. We who had spiritually committed far worse than adultery and were liable to the curse and shame of those who had turned against God, Christ takes the shame of it all upon Himself and bears it all upon the cross. And why? Well, as we read in Hebrews, it was for the joy that was set before Him that He endured the shame of the cross. It is because of His love for us. The believer seeks this and desires to enjoy all the more of it. Well, brethren, several points of application for us. One is, dear Christian, maybe that in this recent season or perhaps even in this preparation for the Lord's Supper that you've sensed, my soul, though seeking by one degree or another, is not finding. And you can become quickly discouraged 
because your conception of the Christian life is one unbroken, unending enjoyment of fellowship with God and Christ. And that's flatly unbiblical. It's not biblical to have this mindset that the heights of communion with Christ are steadily and constantly enjoyed for all time in this world in the same degree. This is why the Christian knows what it is to weep. This is why the Christian knows what it is to be sad. You know, she's not happy when she gets up. She's uh, upset and disappointed. Uh, We see this again in different places where she's discouraged. Why is she discouraged? Because she doesn't enjoy at present the communion of Christ. Now let's be clear, theologically, we know this. It's not because union with Christ has been stopped. Because so soon as one is brought unto Christ by faith, they are forever and always united to Christ. But what she's missing is the enjoyment and the sense of all of the riches that are for her in Christ. They are, as it were, dried up for a season. They're withheld for a season. And she doesn't say, well, happy-go-lucky, everything's fine. No, she says, this is not how my soul wants it. And what am I going to do? Sit here? No. I'm going to up and seek Him. I desire Him. And so you have to realize this. There are going to be seasons when you will have the felt absence of the enjoyment of the fellowship of Christ. But one small step in understanding, or rather in overcoming that, is understanding that that's not uncommon. You know, if we were to judge by our very moment many times, we would misjudge most of the time. We would misjudge the whole of the Christian life in many ways. But here we see there's a season of disturbance in the fellowship of the believer with Christ. But we ought not to then say, well, that's good then, you know, I guess this isn't abnormal. No. So as soon as we realize that, we need to realize if and to the degree that we find that there is this felt uh, disturbance in fellowship, we are then to be focused and deliberate in seeking its restoration and the return of its enjoyment. That's what the believer does. The believer seeks earnestly and doesn't seek artificial things. She doesn't go to the portrait on the wall and say, well, there it is, and so on. She wants Him. She doesn't go and say, well, this is something He made. She wants Him. She wants Him. And that's what the believer wants. The believer wants Christ. Of course, there's the need for us to realize that if we seek anything other than Christ, we seek that which will never satisfy the soul. And so what a shameful thing it is if we spend our energies to pursue after other things that in the end will turn to dust and will parch our own souls everlastingly. But even for the believer many times, we get discouraged and so we start to fill our day with things that can never actually satisfy. They may distract. They may take our mind off of it for a moment. But in the end, that only adds to the obstacles before us in our more enjoying of the Lord Jesus Christ. So let us, if we discover the discouragement, learn from this passage what it is then we're to pursue. We're to pursue Christ and the return of that enjoyment of fellowship within. So let me ask, how is it 
with you? How is it with you today? How is it with you this week? How has it been with you this month? You know, there are times throughout the year that we can sort of pause and look back to different pillars of our calendar. We can look back to the start of the new year, perhaps, which now is back over half a year behind us. We can look back to the previous communion, just three months ago, these kinds of things. We can look back and we can ask in general, how is it with me? Do I know the present enjoyment of Christ? And the answer may be yes. (laughs) Which if that's the case, praise God for that. And we pray that it would continue and be strong. And we can draw from then verse 5 of saying, Oh, how earnest we ought to be to ensure that we grieve not the Spirit of God. Many have spoken rightly of the Spirit as mentioned to be like a dove because among other things, doves are ready to flee. You you can be on a walk outside and there off in the distance, you know, a hundred yards down the way, you can see a dove perched on a branch or on a telephone line and as you're walking, it sort of catches you and it's looking at you and then you can sense the uh, terror that's overcoming it and how quickly it wants to fly away and finally does. And we need to remember that though the Lord is omnipotent, He despises disturbances that we provoke in our sin. And so there's the need, if we are enjoying Christ, to be all the more focused on cutting off the things that would provoke Him and His Holy Spirit to flee from us. But it may be that we have to say, it's not that I presently am enjoying Him as I desire. I've heard of enjoying of Christ. I've known something of enjoying of Christ. But as it stands right now, my life is more about the outward actions and it is missing on the thing itself. There are many things that we can do, but the first is to own it and to go before the Lord and to say, just as simply as she says here, I sought Him, but I found Him not starts with acknowledging and saying the thing that I desire above all else is not to the degree enjoyed as it should. And so what do we do then? We say, as the bride does, as the believer does, I will rise now and I will seek Him. And we diligently and deliberately say, I resolve not to stop until I find Him. And yet we say then, well, you know, there are tons of discouragements, of course. And we can see this again and again throughout the Scriptures, how such things do arise on occasion and do come to us and uh, cause us to think that it's time now to stop and to give up. And yet we can also see in the Scriptures how it is that uh, Christ is regularly commending the deliberate and the unceasing pursuit of Him as the one who is to be desired. So you remember, of course, the woman who comes after him and is earnestly desiring mercy upon her daughter. And what happens? Well, she's crying out and the disciples are like concerned and they're, you know, get back. And Christ says, you know, I've not come for the dogs eventually. And what does she do? She doesn't say, well, that's it. I'm drawing back. You know, where's his mercy? I've seen it on the first request here. I've seen it on the second request there. I've been following. I've asked. The disciples pushed me back. 
I've asked, he ignores me. I've asked, he denies me. And now he heightens his rejection by saying, I've not come for the dogs. But what does faith which desires Christ say, Yea, Lord. But even the dogs eat of the crumbs that fall from their master's table. And what does Christ do? He blesses her and says, I've not seen such faith, not in all Israel. What's the point? She had, as it were, a determined fixation. I will find Him. I will obtain by His grace what I need. And this is what we need. Our souls need Him. We aren't content with other things. We want Christ. We're not content with the church filling up with 50 people. We want Christ. We're not content with our families being healthy and well. We want Christ. We're not content with everything going along as we desire. Why? Because we want Christ. What if Christ let everything else be well for you. Your job goes well. Your health is well. Your family's well. Everything's well. The church is well. But you have zero fellowship with Christ. Your life should then be considered, if a believer, most miserable. Because the thing which satisfies the believer is Christ and His fellowship. And this is, of course, what we need. Well, dear ones, here is what we ought to set all of our focus on, particularly as we prepare for the Lord's Supper, to seek, to find, to preserve, and to enjoy the fellowship of Christ. That as we sit down with His Word before us, we're not content to say, well, I've learned more of the Bible, but rather I've heard more of my beloved's Word And oh, how blessed are His promises. Oh, how pure are His commandments. How mighty are His works. And all of these focus us upon Christ. As we memorize His Word, we're thinking of the beauty, the order, the symmetry, the delight, the glory of so beautiful of words that have come to us by Him. As we come to worship Him, we rejoice in His people that He's purchased. We rejoice in the ordinances He's administering to us. And in all these things, we're seeking Him as we prepare to come to the table and we examine ourselves. It's not so that we can say, well, I've done more examining this week than I've done in previous communions and so on, or I've studied more promises. But in doing it, we're examining sins that need Christ's blood applied to them and ourselves to die to them by the Spirit. We're examining promise so that we can cleave more earnestly to Christ. We're desiring Christ. That's what we desire. In secret, in private, in public, the one consuming focus is Christ. And brethren, here's the good news. The Lord's Word itself tells us this. That if we seek Him, we will find Him. Seek and ye shall find. Say, well, is that just about like temporal things? Well, surely there are temporal things included, but it's interesting. Christ goes on to say, you know, ask, knock, seek. And he says, it's the Father's good pleasure to do what? To give to you the Spirit. The person of the Godhead, the Trinity, by whom we enjoy the fellowship of the person of the Son and through whom we enjoy the person of the Father. And so here we're promised that as we seek such blessings, 
in prayer, in the Word, in the sacrament, in fellowship, in all of these things that God promises we shall find. Brethren, this ought to quicken our steps to know that He promises much to us. And it ought to quicken our steps as well because He is indeed the One whom our soul loves. And He is as well the One who loves our souls. Would you stand with me for prayer? Let us pray.